This is Trifecta Now, Living a Course in Miracles. Episode 23, Chapter 23, The War Against Yourself. Welcome back. My email is trifectanow3 at gmail.com. I've been receiving a few emails and I'm happy to answer anybody who has any questions. So please feel free to send me uh, an email if you want to talk or if you want to ask me any questions or anything else. Innocence is strength and nothing else is strong. That is the exact opposite that this world teaches us. Weakness, innocence, vulnerability have all been depicted as lacking strength and appearing as less than what you should be. It is the total opposite in eternity. It is our greatest strength. It makes sense that our ego would lead us to believe otherwise. It's been wrong on almost every aspect of our lives. Innocence is a return to what was a way back to the safety and security of nothing lacking. There is no guilt, no illusions, and no fear. Innocence is our return to love. So this starts, uh, the introduction starts on page 485. I wrote that our travels and journeys in this world are completely and wholly up to us as to where we go and how we get there. With truth by our side, this world can only be a happy place. Our destiny and purpose lay in our understanding and willingness to not let innocence be lost to us, to look upon everything with forgiveness and love. Page 485, paragraph 1, sentence 2 says, Innocence is strength and nothing else is strong. Sentence 5 says, No one is strong who has an enemy, and no one can attack unless he thinks he has. Belief in enemies is therefore the belief in weakness, and what is weak is not the will of God. Paragraph 3, sentence 2 says, The the innocent are safe because they share their innocence. Nothing they see is harmful, for their awareness of the truth releases everything from the illusion of harmfulness. And what seemed harmful now stands shining in their innocence, released from sin and fear, and happily returned to love. They share the strength of love because they looked on innocence and every error disappeared because they saw it not. Who looks for glory finds it where it is. Where could it be but in the innocent? On the next page, 486, paragraph 6, says nothing around you but is part of you. Look on it lovingly and see the light of heaven in it. So will you come to understand all that is given you. In kind forgiveness will the world sparkle and shine, and everything you once thought sinful now will be reinterpreted as part of heaven. How beautiful is it to walk clean and redeemed and happy through a world in bitter need of the redemption of your innocence bestowed upon them. The next part on that page is called the irreconcilable beliefs. I wrote, the belief that we have no choices, that this life deals the cards and we must play what we get, That is the biggest illusion of all. Fear is at the core of this illusion. The war is simply against yourself. There are no other participants. You choose the game, the players, and the result. You hold all the cards. It seems crazy that this would be true, but is it? We create ourselves along with our illusions of ourselves and others. We can believe this, then why does it seem so inconceivable that we have the same power to choose love over fear, happiness over misery, and light over darkness. 
first paragraph says the memory of God comes to the quiet mind. It cannot come where there is conflict. For a mind at war against itself remembers not eternal gentleness. Sentence four says war is impossible unless belief in victory is cherished. Conflict within you must simply imply that you believe the ego has the power to be victorious. Why else would you identify with it? On the next page, 487, paragraph 4 says, Brother, the war against yourself is almost over. The journey's end is at the place of peace. Would you not now accept the peace offered you here? This enemy you fought as an intruder on your peace is here transformed before your sight into the giver of your peace. Paragraph 5 says, The war against yourself was undertaken to teach the Son of God that he is not himself and not his father's son. For this, the memory of his father must be forgotten. It is forgotten in the body's life. And if you think you are a body, you will believe you have forgotten it. Paragraph six says the war against yourself is but the battle of two illusions, struggling to make them different from each other in the belief that one, in the belief the one that conquers will be true. There is no conflict between them and the truth, nor are there different, nor are they different from each other. Both are not true. So it matters not what form they take. Page 488. Paragraph 7 says, What you remember is a part of you. Sentence 3 says, Truth does not fight against illusions, nor do illusions fight against the truth. Illusions battle only with themselves. Being fragmented, they fragment. The truth is indivisible and far beyond their little reach. You will remember what you know when you have learned you cannot be in conflict. Paragraph 8 says, conflict must be between two forces. It cannot exist between one power and nothingness. There is nothing you could attack that is not part of you. And by attacking it, you make two illusions of yourself in conflict with each other. And this occurs whenever you look on anything that God created with anything but love. Conflict is fearful, for it is at the birth of fear. Yet what is born of nothing cannot win reality through battle. Why would you fill your world with conflicts with yourself? Let all this madness be undone by for you and turn in peace and turn in peace to the remembrance of God still shining in your quiet mind. On the next page, which is 489, paragraph 11 says, Illusions meets illusion, truth itself. The meaning Sorry, the meeting of illusions leads to war. Peace, looking on itself, extends itself. War is the condition in which fear is born and grows and seeks to dominate. Peace is at the state where love abides and seeks to share itself. Conflict and peace are opposite. The next part on page 489 is called the laws of chaos. And I wrote, these laws rule the world we made, yet they govern nothing and need not be broken, but merely looked upon and gone beyond. These laws have attempted to make sense out of the senseless, and we willingly have agreed with them. We believe that truth is different for everyone, that all sins be punished and attacked, that God lets bad things happen to us, therefore he must not be, and that one person's loss is another one's gain. And lastly, that the substitute for love is salvation. Paragraph 1 says, the laws of chaos can be brought to light, though never understood. 
Sentence five says it is essential it be understood what they are for because it is their purpose to make meaningless and to attack the truth. Here are the laws that rule the world you made. Paragraph two, the first chaotic law is that truth is different for everyone. Like all these principles, this one maintains that each is separate and has a different set of thoughts that set him off from others. This principle evolves from the belief there is a hierarchy of illusions. Some are more valuable and therefore true. Each one establishes this for himself and makes it true by his attack on what another values. And this is justified because the values differ and those who hold them seem to be unlike and therefore enemies. On the next page, 490. Paragraph 4 says, The second law of chaos, dear indeed to every worshipper of sin, is that each one must sin and therefore deserves attack and death. This principle, closely related to the first, is the demand that errors call for punishment and not correction. For the destruction of the one who makes the error places him beyond correction and beyond forgiveness. Paragraph 6, sentence 2 says, There is a principle that would define what the creator of reality must be, what he must think and what he must believe, and how he must respond to believing it. It is not seen as even necessary that he be asked about the truth of what has been established for his belief. His son can tell him this, and he has but the choice whether to take his word for it or be mistaken. This leads to the third preposterous belief that seems to make chaos eternal. For if God cannot be mistaken, he must accept his son's belief in what he is and hate him for it. Paragraph 7 says, See how the fear of God is reinforced by this third principle. Now it becomes impossible to turn to him for help in misery. For now he has become the enemy who caused it, to whom appeal is useless. Paragraph 9 on page 491. The ego values only what it takes. This leads to the fourth law of chaos, which, if the others are accepted, must be true. This seeming law is the belief that have what you have, sorry, belief you have what you have taken. By this, another's loss becomes your gain, and thus it fails to recognize that you can never take away save from yourself. Yet all the other laws must lead to this, for enemies do not will give willingly to one another, nor would they seek to share the thing they value. Paragraph 10 says, all of the mechanisms of madness are seen emerging here. The enemy, made strong by keeping hidden value inheritance, that should be yours, your justified position and attack for what had been withheld and the inevitable loss the enemy must suffer to save yourself. Thus do the guilty ones protect their innocence. Were they not forced into this foul attack by the unscrupulous behavior of the enemy, they will respond with only kindness. But in a savage world, the kind cannot survive, so they must take or else be taken from. Page 492, paragraph 12, sentence 3, says, And here a final principle of chaos comes to the rescue. It holds there is a substitute for love. This is the magic that will cure all of your pain, the mistake, missing factor in your madness that makes it sane. This is the reason why you must attack. Here is what makes your mentions justified. Behold, unveiled, the ego's secret gift. 
torn from your brother's body, hidden there in malice and in hatred for the one to whom the gift belongs. He would deprive you of the secret ingredient that would give meaning to your life. The substitute for love, born of your of your enmity to your brother, must be salvation. It has no substitute, and there is only one. And all your relationships have but the purpose of seizing it and making it your own. Paragraph 13, sentence 5 says, These are the principles which make the ground beneath your feet seem solid. And it is here you look for meaning. These are the laws you made for your salvation. They hold in place the substitute for heaven, which you prefer. This is their purpose. They were made for this. There is no point in asking what they mean. That is apparent. <laughs> the means of madness must be insane. Are you as certain that you realize the goal is madness? On the next page, 493, it went right to the bottom. Uh, paragraph 19 says, There is no life outside of heaven. Where God created life, their life must be. In any state apart from heaven, life is an illusion. On the next page, 494, at the top of the page says, at best it seems like life, at worst like death. Yet both are judgments on what is not life. Equal to their inaccuracy and lack of meaning, life not in heaven is impossible, and what is not in heaven is not in life. Outside of heaven, only the conflict of illusion stands, senseless, impossible, and beyond all reason, and yet perceived as an eternal barrier to heaven. Illusions are but forms. Their content is never true. And on page 494 at the bottom, para, uh, paragraph 22 says, Brother, take not one step in the descent to hell, for having taken one, you will not recognize the rest for what they are, and they will follow. Attack in any form has placed your foot upon the twisted staircase that leads from heaven. Yet any instant it is possible to have all this undone. How can you know whether you chose the stairs to heaven or the way to hell? Quite easily. How do you feel? Is peace in your awareness? Are you certain which way you go? And are you sure the goal of heaven can be reached? If not, you walk alone. Ask then your friend to join with you and give you certainty of where you go. The next part on page 495 is called Salvation Without Compromise. I wrote, What you give, so shall you receive. Those words are so important to our understanding of the relationships we have in this life. Salvation is complete and available to anyone at any point in time. It has no prerequisites, nor does it require that you give something up or make a compromise. Compromise, by our definition, means that you accept but part of what you want and give up the rest. Forgiveness, for example, cannot be withheld a little. You can't lightly forgive someone. It doesn't work that way. And if you think it does, it's not forgiveness you offer. It's guilt. Pay, uh, yeah, page 495, paragraph 2, sentence 5 says, Withhold forgiveness from your brother and you attack him. You give him nothing and receive of him but what you gave. Paragraph 3 says, Salvation is no compromise of any kind. To compromise is to accept a part of what you want, 
to take a little and give up the rest. Salvation gives up nothing. It is complete for everyone. Sentence 6 in paragraph 3 says, It is denied where compromise has been accepted, for compromise is the belief salvation is impossible. It would maintain you can attack a little, love a little, and know the difference. Thus it would teach a little of the same, same can still be different, and yet the same remain intact as one. Does that make sense? Can it be understood? Parker forces this course is easy just because it makes no compromise. Yet it seems difficult to those who still believe that compromise is possible. They do not see that if it is, salvation is attacked. Sentence 5 at the bottom says, Forgiveness cannot be withheld a little, nor is it possible to attack for this and love for that. Next page, 496 at the top says, And understand forgiveness. Paragraph 5 says, Those who believe that peace can be defended and that attack is justified on its behalf cannot perceive it lies within them. How could they know? Paragraph 6 says, Mistake, not truce for peace, not nor compromise for the escape from conflict. To be released from conflict means that it is over. The door is open. You have left the battleground. You have not lingered there in cowering hope that it will not return because the guns are still stilled an instant and the fear that haunts the place of death is not apparent. There is no safety in a battleground. You can look down on it in safety from above and not be touched. But from within, you can find no safety. Not one tree left standing will shelter you. Not one illusion of protection against stands against the faith in murder. Here stands the body torn between the natural desire to communicate and the unnatural intent to murder and to die. Think you the form that murder takes can offer you safety. Can guilt be absent from a battleground? Above the battleground, that's at the bottom of page 496, I wrote, Heaven is wholly true, no differences enter, and what is all the same cannot conflict. The only way to overlook the battleground and stop the illusions of differences is to seek heaven here. Only a purpose unifies, and those who share a purpose have a mind as one. I, in paragraph one, sentence two says, the fear of God is fear of life and not of death. On the next page, 497, paragraph two, sentence four says, so will they be to those who see God's son as a body, for it is not the body that is like the son's creator. And what is lifeless cannot be the son of life. How can a body be extended to hold the universe? Can it create and be what it creates? And can it offer its creations all that it is and never suffer loss? Paragraph 4, sentence 6 says, This is your part to realize that murder in any form is not your will, that the overlooking of the battleground is now your purpose. Paragraph 5 says, Be lifted up and from a higher place look down upon it. From there will your perspective be quite different. Here in the midst of it, it does not seem real. Sentence 7 says, The perspective coming from this choice shows you the battle is not real and easily escaped. Bodies may battle, but the clash of forms is meaningless. 
and it is over when you realize it never had what it never was begun. How can a battle be perceived as nothingness when you engage in it? How can the truth of miracles be recognized if murder is your choice? On page 498, paragraph 7, sentence 4 says, Only a purpose unifies, and those who share a purpose, purpose have a mind as one. The body has no purpose of itself and must be solitary. From below, it cannot be surmounted. From above, the limits it exerts on those in battle still are gone and not perceived. The body stands between the Father and the heaven he created for his son because it has no purpose. Paragraph 8 says, Think what is given those who share their father's purpose and who know that it is theirs. They want for nothing. Sorrow of any kind is inconceivable. Only the light they love is in awareness and only love shines upon them forever. It is their past, their present, and their future, always the same, eternally complete, and wholly shared. They know it is impossible their happiness could ever suffer change of any kind. Perhaps you think the battleground can offer something you can win. Can it be anything that offers you a perfect calmness and a sense of love so deep and quiet that no touch of doubt can ever mar your certainty? And that will last, and that, sorry, and that will last forever? That is the end of chapter 23 in A Course in Miracles. The body has no purpose of itself, therefore stands alone. A common purpose leads to a common goal. With this, we will find what we want. Sorry. With this, we will find that we want for nothing. That we lose nothing but gain a perspective that erases sorrow and dismisses pain. Joy and love reside here, and once we find our way, there will be no reason to want to go back. This is our journey. Keep finding your way. Have a purposeful week. And until next week, always love, Denise.